Good morning, Moneyliners community. This is Chris Nickel coming to you on Monday morning, November 28th, with our weekly recap. Plus, we're going to talk today a little bit about the best teams in the NBA and NFL, as well as circle back to the college football playoff rankings and the ridiculously ignorant and unbelievable continual SEC bias from every analyst on ESPN, SEC Network, and everywhere else you can find someone talking about the SEC. First, let's jump into our weekly record at 33-30-1. We finally have NCAA basketball figured out. We have the pretenders from the contenders, and we had an 18-12 and 12 week. We had a 3-0 NFL turkey day, picking the Giants, the Lions, and the Vikings. So hopefully you enjoyed some fat cash being made on those three games, as well as getting fat on grandma's turkey and stuffing. And finished out the NFL week at 6-5 with a 3-5 record yesterday. NBA, really hard to figure out who is that second-tier team, those second-tier teams below a couple of teams I'll talk about in a second. So struggling to find our way in the NBA. And NCAA football was a rough week, which is normally our, our best picks uh, come from college football. Um, so let's dive right into it. We did have one bad beat. Uh, I'm going to say, come on, man, to the Boise State coaches and their one-hit wonder interception pickoff with 31 seconds left, taking it back to the house for 48 yards to cover the spread at plus 16 for Utah State, 16 to 17, depending on when you played it. We had Utah State the whole way. We were winning the whole way until a minute nine, 91-yard touchdown run, followed by 30 seconds later, a 48-yard interception. That's a bad beat. So uh, Boise State, you're not going to get any thank you cards for costing some people that were on the Aggie side of that game, including the Moneyliners community. Let's talk for a minute about the NBA. It's a really weird season. Um, first of all, I, I don't see much excitement coming out of the fan base from the NBA. You have a lot of controversy with Kyrie Irving, LeBron James jumping into politics, uh, mediocre teams, average teams, old stars getting old, uh, young stars not getting the appreciation perhaps that they deserve. But at the end of the day, I think there are two teams that stand above the rest by a wide margin. And it isn't that they have the biggest star in the NBA. It's that they play as a team and they have depth and they have chemistry and an understanding of what their roles are when they come onto the court. You know, I've had the opportunity to watch the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors play several games in the past week, this Thanksgiving week. And I'm so happy to see Klay Thompson back in his old form, post-injuries now, back playing with Steph, one-two dynamic punch out in the Bay Area, which then reminds me of their East counterparts in Tatum and Brown up in Boston. When you think back about some of the great dynamic duos in NBA history, Obviously, the one that comes to my mind first is Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. They were a dominant dynasty of two guys surrounded by great role players 
And it didn't matter who those players were because they were coached by the great Phil Jackson. The other dynamic duo I think about is Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, they were coached by the same guy. Imagine that. The dynamic duos of Klay Thompson and Steph Curry, clearly the two best pure shooting guards to play together in the history of the NBA. I think about Steve Kerr and his experience with the the Bulls dynasty playing with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. That cannot be emphasized enough. Steve Kerr was a role player in the Bulls dynasty. He understands how to build a team around Clay and Steph. And that's exactly what he's done. I would argue that the team they have today may be better than when they had the dynamic trio with KD. Because they relied too heavily on Steph, Clay, and and Kevin Durant during that championship run, those, those two years. They understand now who Jordan Poole, Jamichael Green, and Kuminga are supposed to play. They understand their roles. And of course, Draymond Green, the best six man in the NBA. So I think of the Golden State Warriors as the best overall team, probably led by the best coach in the NBA today. And I think about the Boston Celtics in Tatum and Brown and their role players, such as Marcus Smart. It doesn't really matter who coaches the Celtics. They're going to win. And I look at teams like Milwaukee with Giannis and Dallas with Luka. Those two guys are probably the best two players in the NBA overall, but they don't have a supporting cast. And I don't know of one single NBA champion that only had one all-star player, one key dominant force. LeBron didn't win championships by himself. Kobe without Shaq didn't win championships. He won scoring titles, but didn't win championships. So Luka and Giannis can only do so much, whereas Golden State and Boston are dominant teams with a great chemistry and an understanding of their roles and who runs the show. They'll be there in the end, in the NBA Finals. It will be Golden State versus Boston. And I look for that series to go deep, six to seven games, and may the best dynamic duo win. Let's change over to NFL for a second. I think this weekend gave us a lot of clarity. And there is a beast rising from the West to compete against the great Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. You know, I talked about Patrick and Josh being two of the best. They are the two best quarterbacks in the NFL, period. And I think that the Chiefs and Bills are the two best teams in the AFC. Followed by the Dolphins and now the Bengals. Man, the Bengals looked great yesterday, beating Tennessee in Nashville, shutting down Derrick Henry without Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase. Come on, man. If you're winning without Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon and you've got Sanjay P. Ryan and T. Higgins going off, Sanjay in back-to-back weeks, his, his game last week was incredible. But now T, back-to-back weeks? What are they going to look like when they get back Joe and and Jamar? The Bengals are now the Bengals. You better watch out because they're ready to, to ball with anybody. But 
I don't think the Chiefs, Bills, Dolphins, or Bengals, all four potent offenses, have what it takes to march up and down the field against the best defense in the NFL that yesterday shut out the New Orleans Saints for the first time in 21 years. Now, I know they're led by Andy Dalton, but they still have Alvin Kamara. They still have Chris Olave, who score. Andy Dalton has scored a lot of points as the quarterback of the Saints. They have weapons. Taysom Hill, Johnson at tight end. That's an offensive team that can score, and San Francisco shut them out 13-0. How often are zeros the final score in the NFL for a team? Not very often. For the Saints, first time in 21 years. The San Francisco 49ers today, after winning four in a row, where their opponents scored a combined 40 points, are dominating on the defensive side of the football field. I can't wait to see the San Francisco 49ers get a rematch against the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl after the Chiefs hung 44 points on them at home earlier in the season. I can assure you that that game is circled by Bosa and company. They want another shot at Patrick. The defense is playing much better than they were against the Chiefs at that point in time in the season five weeks ago. And Jimmy Garoppolo is doing his best impersonation of Joe Flacco in the old Baltimore Ravens Super Bowl run behind Ray Lewis and Eric Reed and company. The San Francisco 49ers added an extremely dangerous piece at running back in Christian McCaffrey, who's really starting to work well with Eli Mitchell. I know Eli was hurt yesterday. We'll have to see what that MCL sprain is going to look like long term. But Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel at the receiver post with Jennings mixing in, in addition to Kittle, McCaffrey, and Garoppolo, that's a formidable offense. That is a stronger offensive team than the Baltimore Ravens had with Joe Flacco. And I think that the San Francisco 49ers defense rivals that at Baltimore's peak with Ray Lewis and Reed and company. I think San Francisco is the best team in the NFL. I think that now that they've won four in a row, it's going to be really hard to beat them moving forward. And I see them making it to the Super Bowl to face either the Kansas City Chiefs or the Buffalo Bills. Let's talk now about the college football playoff scenarios. I have lived as a Buckeyes fan for 20 years of SEC bias. And it's the same story every year by every person in every media channel led by the SEC partner ESPN. Everyone thinks Nick Saban is God. And that then means that all of the other coaches and the players and the teams in the SEC or in God's court, I'm not sure what they view them as, but LSU was exposed this weekend at Texas A&M, a team that's not even going to make the car rental bowl, the Chick-fil-A bowl, the boilmypotofwater.com bowl. 
Texas A&M beat LSU by 15 points. LSU beat Alabama. Tennessee was beaten by 30 by South Carolina. Spencer Rattler looked like Joe Montana in his prime against Tennessee. Unranked team again. Now, the SEC bias crew would tell you, well, it's because the SEC is so competitive and they're so, so good. No, no, they're not. If you, if you gave me, you can take anybody right now besides Georgia, because I think Georgia is the best team in the country, head and shoulders, period, by far. But take any other team in the SEC right now, take all of them, take your top eight, Pick any eight in the SEC. I will take the next eight teams besides Michigan. I'll take the next eight, and I will play you eight games. You can, we can, whatever, shotgun, random draw. We can pick your number one against my number one, and we'll play eight games, and I can promise you the Big Ten will be right there at four and four, against the SEC. If not, I think they could win and be 5-4. and four. Let's take Penn State, for example. If you want to say that Tennessee or LSU is your number two, I'll take Penn State right now, straight up against either LSU or Tennessee. I'm a Midwesterner, and I respect the Big Ten, and I'm proud of being a fan of the Big Ten Buckeyes and their conference. When the Buckeyes aren't playing another Big Ten team, I root for them every weekend. I become a Purdue fan, a Penn State fan, a Michigan State fan, and I know the conference well. And toe-to-toe, we're there with the SEC. So my question is, this may be the worst bias I've seen in, since it all started. This morning, the SEC network, of course, it's the SEC network, is talking about Tennessee and Alabama being number five and number six ahead of Ohio State. So let's just take a look at wins and losses. Tennessee has two losses. Alabama has two losses. And Ohio State has one loss. Alabama's losses to LSU and Tennessee. Again, LSU just got beat by an under 500 team, uh, Texas A&M. And Tennessee had 30 points hung on them by Spencer Rattler and the South Carolina Gamecocks. So those two losses by Alabama have to be very, very black eyes because of who Tennessee and LSU just lost to. Yet that's better than Ohio State losing to clearly the number two team in the country and only having one loss. Makes perfect sense. Yep, logical to me. Come on, man. Get out of town. Are you kidding me? This is the worst Alabama team that Nick Saban has ever put on the field. To have Nick Saban begging for a shot at a college football playoff slot after just barely getting past a couple of touchdowns past Auburn? Led by Cadillac Williams? Auburn was within a couple of touchdowns late in the fourth quarter. In Alabama for the Iron Bowl. You should have beat them by 40 points. 
And you're talking about a playoff spot? Nick, you know in your heart that Alabama's going to get in some mid-grade bowl and hopefully you'll win and, and go home. You're looking forward to the longest offseason that you've had. You don't belong in the college playoffs, my friend. Let's talk about Tennessee. I'm very happy for the fans of Tennessee. You've got your coach. I said it a few weeks ago. Josh Heupel needs to be given a blank check. He's your man. Get him signed long term. If Mel, if, if Mel Tucker can sign a 10-year, $95 million contract, sign Josh Heupel to a 20-year contract at $180 million and be happy. But Josh lost to Georgia, which, hey, everyone else is losing to Georgia, and I would pick Georgia to win the national championship at this point. So the Georgia loss is similar to Ohio State's Michigan loss. If they're the two top teams in the country, which is what they are, those losses were similar. Difference being Michigan was at Ohio State and Tennessee was at uh, at Georgia. So that, that is a big difference. I get that. However, Tennessee has the second loss to South Carolina. Again, an unranked team hung 63 points on them. So how in the world are those two losses better than a one loss to the number two team in the country? I know, I know. It's logical. It makes perfect sense. It's the SEC, the most dominant conference in all of college football. Baloney. Baloney. And the committee sees through that baloney. The people on the committee are not dumb people. And all of these talking heads on ESPN and SEC Network and CBS Sports, SEC this, SEC that, Nick Saban, Alabama, Josh Heupel, Tennessee, the Buckeyes got clobbered at home. Shame on them. Cast them to the lake of fire. The committee sees through that. The committee has going has, has everything right in front of them that they need right in front of them. And they're going to line it up exactly the way the AP poll and the coaches' poll is lined up this morning. What you're going to see is Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC, and Ohio State. Those will be the top five. <coughs> Excuse me. Those will be the top five bowl rank, uh, college football playoff rankings that will be released tomorrow night because the committee is making things very simple for themselves. They're looking at the zero losses, and then they go to the one loss, and then everyone else. So TCU plays Kansas State for the Big 12 championship. They beat Kansas State earlier this year. I can promise you that Kansas State has revenge on their minds and a Big 12 title in their hearts. In addition to that, you've got the big USC versus Utah matchup for the Pac-12 championship. A Utah team that beat USC earlier this season, their only loss. So they've got their number. In addition to that, Utah just hung 660 yards on Colorado. Now, I know it's Colorado, but it's still 662 yards. They were up 42 to nothing at halftime. And if you remember the segment from a few weeks ago, they've got a top five coach in all of college football in Salt Lake City, 
with the initials initials of KW. That dude is going to bring it in that Pac-12 championship. His team will be ready to stop the Caleb Williams dancing and Jack Jawin and everything else about Heisman this and Heisman that. He wants a shot at at Caleb, who, who is going to win the Heisman. I mean, Caleb locked up the Heisman in his performance against Notre Dame while C.J. Stroud gift-wrapped it for him after his loss to the Wolverines. Kyle wants a shot. And Utah is well-coached. They're solid on both sides of the ball. USC's got defensive issues, which isn't surprising. I mean, Lincoln Riley is an offensive genius. He is making Caleb Williams look like the NFL's version of Jalen Hurts. And they're rolling offensively. But they're giving up a lot of points and a lot of yards. And I think Utah may perhaps be USC's kryptonite. So the scenario is real simple for the committee. If TCU loses to Kansas State, I believe they're out and Ohio State's in. Kansas State is a three-loss team. TCU plays in an extremely weak Big 12 conference. They have virtually no wins to brag about. Beating Iowa State by 50 points is a big deal, but it's Iowa State. They were 4-7. and seven. So if TCU loses to Kansas State in a close game, then the committee has to decide between Ohio State losing to number two Michigan by a lot and TCU losing to Kansas State in the Big 12 championship. I think if that happens, the committee is going to look at who is the best football team when we watch video, we look at the data, who's the best team? And I think Ohio State wins that smell test. But let's say TCU wins, because I think they will. I think TCU will roll Kansas State this time by a greater margin than 10 points and put an emphatic stamp on we belong. That's my prediction, is that two and a half points for the TCU Horn Frogs is really disrespectful. They should be at least a five or six point favorite against Kansas State, and I think they roll them. Because the team I watched play Iowa State this past weekend is dominant on both sides of the ball and in special teams. I think at the end of this coming weekend, you will have Georgia after they roll LSU in the SEC championship, Michigan rolls Purdue in the Big 12, Big 10 championship, and TCU will roll Kansas State. You will have three undefeated, clear number one, two, and three football teams, and the fourth spot up for grabs will be simple for the committee. If USC wins the Pac-12 championship, they're in. You'll have a a few disgruntled Buckeye fans, but frankly, as I said yesterday in the podcast about the game, you'll have to get over it because no way does a one-loss USC team with a Pac-12 championship under their belt get left out after the Buckeyes' embarrassing loss. However, if Utah beats USC by any margin, by three points or 30 points, the Buckeyes move into number four because USC will have lost to Utah twice 
They will have two losses in a weak conference. They will not have a conference championship. And that makes it real easy to move Ohio State into number four with one loss against the number two team in the country. I will predict on Moneyliners this Monday morning that that's exactly what's going to happen. Utah is going to beat USC in the Pac-12 championship. Winningham has that team ready to play Caleb Williams and USC. You will not see Marcus Freeman's inexperience as head coach not prepared properly for Caleb Williams at Notre Dame versus a highly experienced Pac-12 coach in KW. That's going to be the difference. Utah will shut Caleb Williams down. He will still win the Heisman. He'll still throw for three touchdowns, and he'll probably throw for 300 yards. But he's not going to have the games that he had against UCLA and Notre Dame against Utah. Utah upsets USC to win the Pac-12 championship, and Ohio State moves into that number four spot. Then we will play ball. And I will be rooting for Michigan against the TCU Horned Frogs at the two and three matchup. And I'll root for David versus Goliath in Ohio State versus Georgia in the one and four slots. I would love nothing more than an all Big Ten national championship and the game number two. I can promise you, Ryan Day, CJ Stroud, and the defense of Eichenberg and Chambers would love to have an opportunity to meet Michigan in the national title game. Now, it's going to be very hard to make that happen because I think that Georgia is, again, above and beyond the best team in the country. And Ohio State would have to play a flawless game on both sides of the ball to beat Georgia. And I think TCU is going to surprise a lot of people and give Michigan everything they've got. But it's possible. It'll be exciting to see what happens this coming weekend. But do me a favor, you SEC people, and, and, I, and I'm all of you, all of you. It doesn't matter if you're a fan. It doesn't matter if you're on a talk show. It doesn't matter if you're an ESPN analyst. Please. Stop trying to fool people. You cannot justify the the idiotic talk of two loss Alabamas and two loss Tennessees going into the playoffs above a one loss Ohio State team to the number two team. That is illogical and just proves how biased and crazy you are. You wanted to put Brian Kelly in above Ohio State. Brian Kelly's LSU team was sitting right there, right behind TCU, right behind Ohio State. LSU, it's LSU. They beat Alabama. They look fantastic. It's Brian Kelly. Even Brian Kelly said, well, our men grew up beating Alabama. If your men grew up beating Alabama, what did they do after they lost to Texas A&M Saturday night? Did they revert back to childhood or toddlerhood? and grow back down? Because if they grew up when they beat Alabama, they sure as heck should have won the SEC 
they should have won the last game prior to their SEC championship game in Texas A&M. Were you looking ahead, perhaps, to Georgia, and you took Jimbo Fisher for granted in College Station? You lost by 15. You were never in the game. They rolled you. You were playing catch-up from the beginning. You didn't belong at number five. You don't even belong in the top ten today. But don't worry, that SEC conference, they're the most dominant conference in the country. Top to bottom, they're the best. Let me ask you a question. I'll end it with this. Luke Fickle, the head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats, he has been probably the hottest coaching candidate over the past three or four years in all of college football. SEC teams wanted him. Big 12 teams wanted him. Pac-12 teams wanted him. Big 10 teams wanted him. Luke Fickle could have gone anywhere he wanted over the last few years for several different openings. Where did Luke Fickle choose to go? Wisconsin. He went to Wisconsin to be the next Badgers head coach. Luke Fickle understands Big Ten football. And I am so excited that he is in the conference because I think he will elevate the Big Ten football's respect level. He will return the Wisconsin Badgers to prominence. And he joins a list of coaches that I think are personally sick and tired of hearing about the SEC. So again, Luke Fickle to the Big Ten should tell you a lot about parity between the major conferences. And guess what? As much as I hate Michigan, I would love nothing more if the Buckeyes do not get in. And it is Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC perhaps. I will become a Michigan Wolverines fan. I'm already a big Jim Harbaugh fan. But I'll become a Michigan Wolverines fan for the playoffs. So that maybe they could pull off a miraculous one-two thumping, much like the Buckeyes did in 2014, and beat TCU and then beat Georgia or USC for the national championship. And even then, it will be by luck. It will be by, well, uh, Georgia uh, didn't have the right water before the game. Or maybe USC's Caleb Williams got a gnat in his eye. It uh, couldn't be because the Big Ten conference champion and dominant number two team in the country was just really that good. There will be a reason if Michigan wins it all. This is Chris Nickel on Monday, November 28th for Moneyliners.com, where we guarantee our picks. If we don't hit 54% or above, your picks are free. Have a great day and let's get to great picks this week. Thank you.